I'm going to ask you guys to be praying for something because um, we've been having some kind of technical issues. And I really have a nice video clip that I would really, really like to show um, during this talk. And um, Nick was trying his very best because there's some things that are kind of involved. And I just asked him before I came up here, I said, okay, do you think we'll get it? And he said, it's a maybe. So... Um, Let's just pray right now, because I would really like that. So, Lord, we just, uh, I thank you, God, for the problems that we've had here. And, and God, we, we know that you have everything under control. And, Lord, you can do the, what we can't. And we ask you just to put your hand on that video and allow us to see that clip. If that's what you want. And that's what we pray for. You just your will to be done there. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Okay. Good morning. Yeah, we're uh, December first. I guess we're officially in our Christmas season. At least we are in this church, and I'm, for one, I'm really glad for that because um, what we thought we'd do is to sort of kick off December by having the first two Sundays today and next Sunday um, just talking about Christmas. Um, and I'm going to talk about the Christmas story today. Um, I really love that story. I love the Christmas story because, several reasons, but here's a couple of them. Number one, it's true. I really like that story because it's true. I like a good story, but I like a true one, and that one is a true story. And I love it also because it speaks to us about the character of God. We can learn a lot, we can, and hopefully that will kind of touch our hearts today as we look through this, as we walk through this today. Um, before we get into that, though, I have something I'd like to read, you guys. Um, it's not true. Well, part of it is. But it's kind of become a part of our Christmas culture here in America. Charlie Brown. So Charlie Brown's reading the Christmas story. He says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. And Charlie pauses and turns to Marcy to explain. He says... Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome and the most powerful person on earth. One night in a little town of Bethlehem, a child was born, but no one paid any attention. After all, he was born in a common stable. And who would have thought that this child would someday be revered by millions, while Caesar Augustus would almost be forgotten? Marcy interrupts. No one paid attention when I was born either. But now everyone loves me. And I'm going to get so many presents for Christmas, it'll make your head swim. Charlie turns to leave. Bible closed. Marcy says, hey, aren't you going to finish the story? Charlie Brown replies, I think you finished it. Marcy was a bit clueless. She had no idea. She, had, she didn't know about the deeper meaning of the Christmas story. But you know one thing Marcy did know? And that's, she was loved. And I think that's the message of this whole story. God's love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So, we're going to pray, and then we'll look into it, okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank You that by Your grace, those of us here this morning that have come to know You, there is a time in our lives when we came to understand the deeper meaning. And Christmas, at that point, took on a whole wonderful 
uh, effect in our hearts. And that's when it really became alive. And we thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for saving us. And, and thank you that you've recorded your word. We're not just, we haven't just been left here uh, to wander and to guess. But Lord, you've given us your word and it's our anchor to our souls. And I thank you for your word. And we thank you that it's true. It's the only book in the library that's going to last for eternity. And it's the only book that we'll ever understand once we come to know you. And once we've come to know you, we do understand it. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us and helps us interpret your word to our hearts and to our needs. And pray that you would do that this morning, Lord, that you would take your word and apply it to each one of our hearts. And you know each one of our, sit our situations. And, and Lord, it's your word that's going to do this. It, it performs its work in us who believe. And I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would have liberty through me and liberty in each of our hearts to just perform your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so where would you normally turn in your Bibles to read the Christmas story? Where? Well, yeah, Matthew. Luke. Yep. Good. Those are the two common places, Matthew and Luke. Luke begins his story with talking about Caesar Augustus and oh, Joseph and Mary are traveling to Bethlehem and, and then the stable and then the birth and then the shepherds. And instead of going there though, I would like for us to go back further this morning. Um, further back. Further back than Caesar Augustus. Further back than Joseph and Mary and the wise men and the shepherds, way back, back before Adam and Eve, and back before the creation of the world, and back even before the beginning of the universe, we're going back to a place no one has ever been before. And so we're going to need a map to get us there. And even you guys, you're going to need a map. Sweetie, are you sure we should keep going? I think we forgot the map. No, I don't need a map. <clears throat> okay, we're going to need a map. Our destination is eternity past. That's where we're going. And why are we going to eternity past? I thought we were talking about Christmas. Well, that's where the Christmas story originated. So I'd like you to, um, before I say that, you know, when you look at a nativity scene, in light of that, in light of what we're going to be talking about today, I think we begin to understand more about just how much God really loves us. And the great sacrifice and cost that, it was, invo that was involved in bringing Jesus to this earth and to become our Savior. So, hopefully the next time you see a Christmas uh, scene, a nativity scene, um, you'll think of it in light of what we're talking about here this morning. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles. This is our map. <clears throat> so if you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screen. But I'd like you to turn to John chapter 1. Nobody mentioned John chapter 1. And if you didn't bring yours, uh, just follow along here on the screen. John chapter 1. And the verses we're going to look at this morning, I just want to just put a little quick time out here and just tell you something personal about these verses in John 1. These are verses that I memorized um, when I was 18 years old. 
I was a senior in high school. I was lost, didn't know the Lord. Um, and I had some good friends, Bill Fix and James Gilbert, little town of Tonkawa, Oklahoma. And um, so they asked me to join them for a, con a camp. We were going to go to a camp that summer they were going to. They said their church takes their young people there every, every summer for a week. And I wanted to know if I'd go along with them this time. And I really liked those guys. I really looked up to them. And so I said, sure, I'll go. Because plus it would get me away from home for about a week. And we'd, we'd go all the way to Louisiana, Ringgold, Louisiana. From Tonkawa, Oklahoma. It's probably about a five-hour drive, bus drive. The only catch was, in order to go there, you needed to memorize Bible verses. 144 Bible verses. And that was 12 verses a week for 12 weeks. So I thought, okay, we'll do that. <clears throat> they did it. I'm sure it's good for them. I'm going to do it. So I memorized my 12 verses a week for 12 weeks, and I would always have to say it to my hearer, which was James's mother. I didn't look forward to that. <clears throat> but I got it done, and so the summer rolls around, and we're ready to head off to camp. And then that's when I find out, oh, when you get there, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to be able to rattle off three lessons, 36 verses, without a mistake, or you have to turn around and go home. I don't know about that last one, but I threw that in there. I was pretty scared. You know what I did for those five hours? I don't even remember the trip. I was memorizing my verses. But I can remember those verses today. And this is before I was even saved. I memorized all these verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. In Him was the light of life, and all that kind of stuff. The light of men. John, and then four, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glories, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's in the good old King Jimmy translation right here. So that's how I memorized all those. And I was probably about two days into my camp down there, and uh, there were just hundreds and hundreds of high school students. <clears throat> and um, I realized for the first time that I was not like them. But yet something that I didn't. They had a relationship with the Lord. They talked about Jesus like he was their best friend. Boy, they knew the Bible. I slumped in my chair. Hopefully he never called on me. I never read the Bible. Except memorizing my verses. And I was pretty miserable about the third day. It was, it was a free period. And I was in my cabin there, sitting on the bunk. I was the only one in there. And my friend Bill Fix walks in. He says, Dennis, would you like to get saved? I said, yeah, I would. I just don't know what it's about and how. So he sat down with me nose to nose and just took a few minutes and shared the gospel. And I had no objections. I tell you what, I was ready to get saved. I was a ripe banana. Probably 144 verses in my heart had something to do with that. <laughs> so I remember um, after that, you know, I prayed and I didn't hear the lightning or the thunderclap or the lightning flash, but um, there, was a, there was a definite peace in my heart that I had never experienced before. And I knew... <clears throat> I knew I was going to heaven. So, Bill asked me, he said, Dennis, the next period is kind of an open mic time. Why don't you stand up and tell everybody? There's hundreds of kids. I said, no way. <laughs> I'm not going to ball in front of everybody. But that was the time that really changed. That's when my life began to take on a whole different direction. 
And um, I got home to my little house in Tonkawa, Oklahoma. We lived in a little house, and I went into my bedroom and just shut the door and started reading my Bible. And uh, I just didn't want to lose um, what I had, and, and I knew I wouldn't because I knew I had a, I have a, I had assurance of salvation I, from the from the day when I never doubted that I was going to heaven, and I'm thankful for that. Anyway, that's why these verses are kind of special to me. So, John chapter one. <clears throat> Well, this may surprise you, but this passage takes us back further than any other passage in the Bible. It takes us all the way back to a time before time. No other gospel begins like this one. The opening words here in John chapter 1 begin the journey. In the beginning, we'll stop right there. This is going to be a long journey, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not a student of Greek. But I, I've learned from those who are that the word the is not in the text. It's a definite article, but it's not there. It's just simply not there. So it should read, in a beginning. It's a beginning. In a beginning. So, in a beginning which really never had a beginning, is really kind of how it would go. In a beginning which really never had a beginning, was the word now before we go further, let's identify the word. You guys know where to turn for that, don't you? A few verses later. But this is the second person of the Trinity. Verse 14, the word is described as the one who became flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There you have a beginning. There is the point in time when he, the second person of the, Trin of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, became an embryo, became a fetus. He became flesh. That's when Jesus became flesh. And, um, and where that word dwelt there, that's an interesting word. He dwelt among us. Some translations say this, He pitched His tent, or He tabernacled among us. I like what J.B. Phillips one time said. He said, this, has, this is a visited planet. And it's not visited from little Martians or little uh, guys from outer space, you know, but it's, it's been visited by the Lord, our Savior. So, in our journey this morning, though, I want us to go back before that. See, that's where, that's where we think Christmas starts. I want us to go back beyond that. Before then, before human life ever existed, back to where all alone in eternity past existed only the Father and the Son and the Spirit forming the Godhead, which is synonym the Trinity. And in that place, there is nothing, it's hard for us to imagine, but just picture that. There is nothing except the Father, Son, and Spirit. And in that place, or in that space, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe that realm. There was a council of divine decrees, for lack of better terms. You have to kind of use your imagination here. And in that council of divine decrees, a subject was discussed. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit, knowing that mankind would come, and that mankind would sin, and that mankind would need rescued, a plan was set in motion. 
And see, they discussed that. They had to discuss that. The Father, Son, and the Spirit do that. You guys, I mean, think about Genesis chapter 1. It said, And let us make man in our image. Who is he talking to? It was his Father, talking to the Son, and the Spirit. They were all talking about that. Let us make man in our image. I was on campus a few weeks ago, and this one uh, gal told me that um, she was uh, witnessing, I thought. And I walked up to her, and I was going to encourage her. And, she said, yeah, we're out here telling people about something brand new in the Bible that we've never seen before. Probably most people haven't. There's a mother God. A mother God. She said, I said, really? She said, yeah, there's a lot of verses in the Bible about a mother God. And it's just so exciting. We're here telling everybody. I'm thinking, good grief. Mother God. I said, well, where, where's the verse on that? She said, well, you remember in Genesis where it says, let us make man in our image. That's the father and the mother talking about this. Because you have Adam and Eve. Just like Marcy, that gal was clueless, you know. So, anyway, they, you have to picture this. There was a, this council of divine degrees, and they were talking about this. And they decided that at some point in the future, when the fullness of time came, God would send forth His Son, the second person of the Trinity, would willingly exit heaven for the very first time, come to this earth as a baby and become the Savior of the world. He would come into being. In a beginning which really never had a beginning, eternally existed the Word. And the, and the Jesus. And the, and the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And the Word was God. It's just hard for me. I just blow, it blows my mind how, how people that are in the, word, in the Bible, even some cults, they can decide that Jesus is not God. There's just... There's just so many verses on this. It's very clearly, he would come into being. He was with God, and he was God. Verse 3, I think, would surprise a lot of people. Because it tells us that the Creator is not God the Father, but it's God the Son. It may surprise some of us here this morning. Because we normally think of God the Father creating, but it's, they were all involved, actually. But look at, the, look at the verse in verse 3. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Let me read that again a little faster. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. All things came, came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. It's like John is almost overstating this thing. He's, all, he's just overstating it. If there's going to be things coming into creation, it's going, to come, it's going to come through the Son. He initiates creation. And that's a job description that would only fit under one name, God. And that's Jesus. And there's many other passages in Scripture that identify our Creator God. One of these is Colossians 1.15. He is, the in, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. Um, Hebrews 1.3 says He's the exact representation of God's nature or His character. He has the divine essence within Him. Okay? In John 14, Jesus tells His disciples, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. So, if you will, Jesus was the perfect photograph of the Father. 
the best image that could be seen on the planet. But up to this point in our journey now, we have no planet. So in order for there to be a planet called Earth, Jesus must create it. Okay, verse 16. For by Him all things were created. Notice those two words, all things. Jesus created all things. So now we have a creation. Now we have a planet. Now we can, we're going to move ahead. Our next stop on this journey is Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. <clears throat> this is sort of a hard-to-believe passage. Especially when we think about it in light of where we've just come from on this journey. Eternity past, where the Father, Son, and the Spirit had all supremacy, all the command and authority, all the worship of millions and millions, the worship and adoration of millions and millions of angels. That's where, the, that's where he came from. Now look at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, there it is, his pre-incarnate existence from eternity past, before he landed on planet earth. Existing in the form of God. Obviously not outward form, God's a spirit. But it's referring to His inner nature, His divine essence. Okay, let's go on now. The, the Amplified Bible speaks of Christ this way. Who, although being essentially one with God, in the form of God possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God. I like that. Then we'll go on. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Hmm. I'm going to read something my friend Mr. McDonald wrote. And he said this. He said, From all eternity, Christ was positionally equal with His Father. Enjoying the glories of heaven. But he did not consider this position of equality something that he had to hold on to at all costs. When a world of lost mankind needed to be redeemed, he was willing to relinquish his positional equality with God, the comforts and joys of heaven, and leave it all behind and come to this earth. Now is that unbelievable or what? That would be like you deciding that you're going to become an ant in order to save the ants' colonies. You know, even though you know by coming, becoming an ant you're going to be mistreated and you're going to be murdered, but you're willing to let go of who you are as a person to become an insect, not even an animal, an insect. Now, are you willing to do that? No. But the gap that I'm, I'm talking about here between you and an ant is so insignificant compared to the distance that Jesus had to go be, from God to become a man. And not just a man, but even a, a bondservant, a slave. And you think, we have to think about that. What he, what he gave up, what He left behind. All the adoration and all the comfort, all the authority... The equal, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. And he said goodbye. Maybe they had a, a, a goodbye party for him up there. 
Think about that. And He came to this earth and become the Creator, became the created. It's just unbelievable. Think how humiliating that would be. Entering this world, sliding down a birth canal, and then as a baby having his diapers changed. Can you comprehend that? That's just... To me, I think that's total unselfishness. That is unbelievable humility. You know, this can also be seen in the way He chose to enter this world. The place. Where would you enter the world? If you, if you were God and, and you're sending your Son, where would you think, okay, now we want to influence this world. We have this world to reach. We, it's full of lost people. They need a Savior. I'm sending the Savior to them. Let's just start really big. Let's have a really... I, you might think of halftime at the Super Bowl. I mean, the whole world's watching. No. That wasn't God's... He wouldn't have been His choice. How about Rome? That's a pretty influential city. Right there. Nope. Jerusalem? That's the capital city of Israel. That's His chosen people. Nope. How about a little obscure village? Populated by only a few hundred people. Micah says, you are, so, you are even too little to be unnumbered among the clans of Israel. It was just a little bitty place, a few hundred people. That's where our Savior was born. And not even in the city, but in the stable, outside the city. I'd like to read uh, how one Christian author describes Bethlehem in the days of Christ. He said, at that time, taxation time, Bethlehem was a confusing jungle, a hubbub of people. Not only did this taxation move Mary and Joseph from their hometown in Nazareth, it moved hundreds, perhaps thousands of others as well. And the little town wasn't set up with motels and hotels as we are today. Historians tell us that it was possible that the travelers slept all over the street during that heavy taxation time. That was the harsh scene that met Mary and Joseph when they came to Bethlehem. There was no room for them. In the end, there was no room for them anywhere. And now Mary is only minutes away from delivery. And you can guess she is thinking some thoughts, maybe like this, I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to have this baby, the Messiah, right here on the street with everybody watching. I bet she could have had those kind of thoughts. No room. But there was a stable. That would have to do. That's better than the street. Now, I'm going to show you a little video clip, hopefully, if the Lord allows, that will give us a, a lot better understanding. It's really helped me understand the conditions that Mary and Joseph were dealing with. Let me just give you a little background, assuming that this is going to work. Um, when Herod became king, when Herod became king, he began a massive building program that would secure his power in that part of the world. And it would protect him from his enemies within and without the nation Israel. So all around Israel, Herod built these gigantic fortresses and uh, palaces. But none greater than a palace called the Herodian. So we'll see. You can go ahead and try rolling it, Nick.
Where did Herod choose to build this unbelievable fortress? Well, he chose to build it near Bethlehem. Bethlehem in those days was a small village, not like the large town that it is today, just a small town on the edge of the Judah wilderness. Maybe 100, 200, maybe 300 people at the very most. Probably not unlike the small villages near the Herodian today. But it was to that town, that small village, that Mary, Maryam, a young Jewish girl who was pregnant, and her husband Joseph came. And it was there, within the context of where this Herodian fortress stands, that Jesus was born. He was born and placed in a manger. Now typically in this country where the shepherds live, mangers are in a stable or in small caves out in the countryside or maybe even in town, sometimes even under people's homes. It's quite an experience to walk in one of those caves. The smell is overpowering. Several feet of manure on the floor from the thousands of sheep over hundreds and even thousands of years that have used the same caves over and over and over again as a sheepfold. The soot on the ceiling from a thousand thousand shepherd's fires. Small enclosure at one end where the shepherd could put the lambs or where the shepherds could keep their own belongings to keep them away from the sheep. It's quite a contrast with the typical celebration of Christmas. In some ways, we Western Christians have really sterilized and made pretty and beautiful that Christmas night with a wooden barn and straw and hay and clean animals. It wasn't like that. It was much more likely a dirty place, a dark place, without fresh straw. And that's the place where Jesus, whom the Bible calls Messiah, the Son of God, was born. One can only imagine what Mary and Joseph thought as they walked down the road past the palace like this with all its glory. And Mary, knowing at least what she had been told by the angel that the baby was to be Messiah, to walk past that fortress took quite an act of faith for that young girl. It's quite unbelievable in a way. Her husband Joseph the same. And, and the shepherds, when they got the message that the Messiah was born, must have first looked up to this palace and thought, ah, King Herod has an heir. But no, not the palace. A stable, which they knew well. And the wise men would come later. By that time, Jesus was in a house in Bethlehem somewhere. But they too walked past this great fortress to get to the house to see the young child. What did they think? Did they think how impossible it must have been for the baby to be in a manger and in a cave and not in this palace? That, that the Messiah was so weak and so small that the king was in a shepherd's cave and the Edomite sat in the biggest palace in the world with all the power, comfort, and glory. Well, the Bible writers asked for an unbelievable commitment of faith. They asked those early believers 
to trust God. That the king of the universe was not in this palace. The king of the universe was in a shepherd's cave. And this man, for all his glory, would be nothing. Nothing. Mary believed it. Joseph did. Those young shepherds did. The wise men did. Many others did too. There's one man that night who believed it with all his heart. And his name? Herod. When he heard that a Messiah, a king, had been born to the Jews, even if it was a king in a cave, it scared him to death. And out of his fortress somewhere, again, maybe this one, came his troops to go out to slaughter the children, to try and kill the king. God is amazing. Why he would choose to put the greatest Edomite on the stage when the Messiah was born is hard to comprehend. But it is clear that he wanted a commitment from his people that the Messiah, for all of his apparent weakness, was really the king of the universe. God decided that his way of bringing Messiah in the world was not to place him in a palace, not to put him in Herod's family, but to put him in the family of David, in the city of David, and in a shepherd's cave. Quite a story. There's a carol that I like. It's not a carol, it's just a Christmas song. It goes like this, sweet little Jesus boy, we made you be born in a manger. Sweet little holy child, we didn't know who you was. We didn't know you came to save us, Lord, to take our sins away. Our eyes were blind. We couldn't see. We didn't know who you was. They had no idea. No wonder the angels sang. Because for the very first time from eternity past, He exited heaven and came to this earth. Look at verse 6 and 7 now. Philippians 2. Although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung onto, but He emptied Himself, laid aside His privileges and rightful dignity, taking the form of a bondservant. And when he came to this earth for the very first time in all, eter all eternity, he said, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The one who was co-equal with the Father submitted to him and for 33 and a half years obeyed and pleased and carried out the mission. In verse 8, found in appearance as a man. This is where it really, really gets unbelievable. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a cross kind of death. That's the way it would read in the original. Even a cross kind of death. The maker of the universe hung and died that we might live. 
And that's what this story is about. And if more people could see Christmas in light of this bigger picture, my, but you know, I think a lot of them would still have the question, why? Why would He do that? Why was He willing to be born knowing what would happen to Him? Just like Cher said after she came out of the movie seeing the passion. She said, why did they do this to that man? I think a lot of people would ask that question. Why would He do that? Knowing what was going to happen to Him. Well, the answer is, and you know it, it's a four-letter word. L-O-V-E. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that He would take upon Himself the sins of the world, the sins of every person who ever lived or ever would live, and then die. The Bible's real clear. The wages of sin is death. God is a just God. He's a loving God. But there has to be a penalty. And he says that penalty is death. I can't, I can't die for anybody's sins. I have my own. But Jesus was perfect. And God devised an ingenious plan where a perfect person could come and he could absorb the sins of the whole world on him. And then he would be killed. And then he would die. The wages of sin is death. Only Christ, who never sinned, became sin when he took our sins, yours and mine, upon himself there on the cross in order that the penalty might be paid in full. He was the chosen and willing innocent third party who would die in our place so that we could be forgiven. Does that mean everybody's going to be going to heaven? No. Only those who choose to believe in Him. The Bible says He came unto His own and His own did not receive Him. They didn't believe in Him. But to those who did receive Him, to those who believed in Him, He gave the right to become a child of God. I enjoy asking students and I enjoy asking businessmen. In fact, I, I sat, I sat uh, this last year, I sat um, next to a businessman on a flight back to Denver. And after kind of going through this story with him, I asked him the question. This is the question I like to ask people. I said, well, can you think of any good reason why you wouldn't want to receive Christ? And he said, no. And so right there, sitting in that seat, 30,000 feet above planet Earth, he prayed and invited Christ into his life, and his eternal address changed. At that moment, he became a child of God. And if there's anybody here this morning, I don't know that there would be, but there may be some of you even here this morning that are thinking about making that decision. I want you just to realize that you're coming to a most unusual God because not once does the Quran ever apply the word love to Allah. Not once. And yet the Bible speaks over and over and over again of how much God loves you and longs to have you be a part of His family. But you're separated from Him because of your sin and your unbelief. But that gap was spanned 2,000 years ago by the death of Christ. But you have to receive Him. You have to ask Him to come into your life. And I, I would like to encourage you. Do that today if you haven't done that. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for 
this journey and thank you Lord for the, how you thought that you knew way in eternity past how this would play out and you knew in eternity past Lord Jesus how one day you'd be saying goodbye and coming to this earth we thank you that you died for us Lord you were willing your unconditional love for us allowed you to do that and I, God I pray that you would just help us to each one of us understand a little more of your marvelous character in, in the sacrifice that you made your unselfishness in becoming a person and Lord, I just pray that that would just grab our hearts even to see the way you came into this world. Help us to be changed people as a result of that. And Lord, help us also to be faithful in just sharing this message, the real meaning of Christmas. Like Marcy, a lot of people in this world, a lot of our friends, a lot of our co-workers, neighbors, they don't have a clue because nobody's ever shared that with them. Help us to be faithful, Lord, especially this season, right now when people are more thinking more about that. Help us to take advantage. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit and your, your nudgings. And we thank you now for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we done? I guess we'll see you next week then. Thank you.